0: And just a little backstory about Jonah, because it really helps you to understand uh, his story. Because really, if you read the book of Jonah, he's considered a minor prophet. But if you read the text, it's not, a, it's not a prophetic message. It's a narrative. So it's a prophetic narrative. It's somewhat different than the other prophets. So when you know the whole kind of the ins and out, the context of Jonah's story, it really helps you to understand his struggle and how we can really relate with his struggle. So Jonah prophesied... During the period of time known as the divided kingdoms, that's where uh, uh, The hebrew nation had split itself into two kingdoms uh, israel in the north and judah in the south and so it was during this time that uh, uh, Jonah is prophesying during the reign of king jeroboam who's the jeroboam the second and he was the 13th king Of uh, no- the northern kingdom of israel and we don't really know a whole lot about jonah even though there's a book after his name, and there's really very little reference to Jonah. There's, there's one reference to Jonah in 2 Kings chapter 1. It says that Jonah was from Gath Hepher, And Gath Hepher is interesting because it's located in the north. If you're looking at Israel, and it's that little sliver of land, it's located in the northwest corner near the, the Mediterranean Sea, between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. So just that little bit of, of land there, it's Gath Hepher, And that land, if you think about geography, if geography is a part of your thing, It's right where Galilee is, or Galilee would be one day. And in fact, Gethsemane is just five miles from Nazareth. Jonah grows up in the area where Jesus would later grow up centuries later. And neither Jonah uh, nor his father uh, has any traceable connection to either the priesthood or the monarchy. Jonah, by all appearances, is just an average, ordinary, hard-working Israelite. And today we're going to focus on just three verses here this morning. The first three verses in his narrative, and we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, Nineveh, just to put it into perspective, is the principal city of the Assyrian Empire. And Nineveh is located on the eastern banks of the Tigris River. And to put that into modern terms, it's just outside of the modern city of Mosul. Nineveh is basically right outside Mosul. So... God called Jonah to go to a city and to preach repentance to a city that was known for its wickedness. And wickedness that had risen to the level of judgment. Now, there's only one problem with this. When you think about it, what's, what's the big deal? God, God calls Jonah to preach to Nineveh. Well, Nineveh at the time, again, principal city of the Assyrian Empire. If you look back through the Bible, you, you go back into the Kings, book of the Kings, this is the time where Israel's enemy is the Assyrian Empire. So Nineveh is their principal city, a capital city. So God is calling Jonah to go to preach repentance to this wicked city that is also their enemies. So why would any Israelite want to go and preach repentance to a nation who is threatening your safety and your security? And sometimes, you know, when you when you are following God, sometimes his plans don't make sense. There are times that you're in your own human thinking I can't understand why God is calling me to do this. It makes no sense to me. And you'll often find this taking place in your life, and often when we read these stories in the Bible, and that's why we're instructed to walk by faith and not by sight. And we walk by faith according to God's Word. It's not a blind faith where we just are willy-nilly, we just you know, kind of roll the dice and we're just going to do it. No, no. We base our faith on God's Word. God had called Jonah to preach repentance to Nineveh. He's calling it a walk by faith, not by sight. If he walks by sight, he's going to do exactly what he did. I'm not going to those people. Why on earth would I go to these people who are trying to destroy us? So there's this tension that exists, and we can, as Christians, we should really be able to identify with this tension because there's a similar tension that where Jonah experienced, well, this is God's call, this is God's plan, this is who God's calling me to reach. We can also understand that in the world that we live in. You know, there are people that God, God is calling us to reach. And But those, some of those people, they don't look like us, they don't act like us, they don't live like us, they don't think like us, but God's calling us to reach those people. There are some people that we would identify even as enemies, who God is calling us to reach. So there's this tension that takes place, and I, when I was thinking about this concept in the New Testament, I thought about what James writes in James 4.4, four says this, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And remember, God's not writing this to unbelievers. Uh, This is being written to believers. James is writing this. The Holy Spirit has inspired him to write this to believers. So again, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And like Jonah, we're called to reach a world that is at odds with God. They are at odds with God and his people. But at the same time, God warns us to do this, to guard ourselves, to being friends with this world, because if we get so closely tied to this world, trying to reach this world, we make ourselves an enemy of God. So there's this tension that exists. So when we put ourselves in Jonah's position, if we really just kind of get down to it, we, we just focus on, on the big fish, right? The big fish swallowing him. And that's really a small part of the story. It's really, I'm not saying it's not an important part of the story, But it's really not the story. This is the story. God's got a plan for his life. God's called him to do something, and he's disobedient. And so we can say, well, why would, you know, that's what Jonah gets. Running away from God. Running away from God's plan and purpose for his life. But now we understand why Jonah ran from the presence of God. Why God, why he abandoned God's plan. Well, if God called you to reach your enemy, wouldn't you sometimes go, I don't know that I can do that. And God said this to Jonah about the city, remember, their wickedness, none of his wickedness has come up before me. And when I I read that, I instantly thought of times throughout the Bible where God had said to prophets that a wickedness of a place or people have come up to him. One of those would be uh, in the book of Genesis and what God spoke to Abraham, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, he says, and because of their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it and what has come to me. So if you put it into perspective, this is the kind of the same place. I'm not saying they shared the same sins, but there was a, there's a time and place where wickedness arises in the eyes of God that, said, that he's like, I've got to do something about this. There needs to be judgment or there needs to be repentance. And so Nineveh has come to this place. And there are places around this world, like Sodom, like Gomorrah, like Nineveh, who have dedicated themselves to wickedness. Now we may think of those places away from us, but they're right here in our, in our country. I mean, don't we have a, a city that is nicknamed Sin City? Las Vegas is not the only Sin City we have in our nation. It's not the only Nineveh that is in our nation. There are plenty of places in our nation that are filled with wickedness. That we celebrate sin, that sin is put on the stage. Sin is celebrated. And there are plenty of places in our nation, there are places just like that in our own community, that celebrate wickedness. So when I think of these people, we can, we can, get, we can get to this place where we're so, so repulsed or put off by them that we lose sight of what God's trying to do with these people. So I think of verses like this. When I think of cities of wickedness or places of wickedness, I think of what, what, what uh, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? See, God's calling on his church is instrumental with people experiencing salvation. See, God could have poured his wrath out on Nineveh easily. The the place of their wickedness had risen to a place of judgment. But that's not in the heart of God. The city is full of wickedness, and it deserves the judgment of God. But God's heart is somewhat different than what we think. Again, when we look at cities like Las Vegas, New Orleans, different cities throughout our nation, and they're, they're experiencing all these difficulties, these different vices, especially in this climate, in this season, where everything's just gone crazy, and crime has risen to an extremely high level, and we can lose sight of this, and we say, they get what they deserve. They should live somewhere else. I find that somewhat convenient for us, but out of line with Scripture, completely. See, God isn't standing back, waiting to pounce on man's sinful behavior. If that was the case, we'd all be gone already. That's a mischaracterization of God that is often believed that is true, that God is just waiting to pounce on us, and he just can't wait to destroy us. Instead, God is long-suffering towards us. God offers us, always offers us grace in exchange for repentance. So church, none of us here were born children of God. Not one of us. Not one of us. All of us were born sinners, all of us were born opposed to God's kingdom. Listen to what Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.9. Remember this, we, we sometimes lose sight when we become Christians that we just somehow are just, you know, we, we, we are entitled to things differently or we are somehow exempt and we lose sight of the compassion and mercy of God. But remember these, New Testament, 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. Aren't you grateful that he's Long-suffering towards you if you don't. He's patient with you. Not willing that any should perish, but that all. And just think about that word all for a second. All should come to repentance. God is not willing that anyone should perish, including the people who lived in Nineveh. And that's why God planned to send Jonah. Because how can they repent unless there's a preacher sent to them? in hopes the city would repent of their wickedness. That's how God is sending Jonah into Nineveh. Again, God desires all should come to repentance. And like, most, like Jonah, most of us have an issue with that word all. We would feel much better if, and just let's be honest, let's be real, you're in church, we can be honest here, we can be transparent. Aren't we more comfortable with that should, some should perish, that some might not perish? But we might have difficulty with the word all. That all should come to repentance. See, we're okay with God wanting all to come to repentance as long as they aren't someone who has harmed us, someone who has threatened to harm us, or someone who we just simply don't like. Jonah obviously knows God is compassionate and full of mercy. That's why when he he hears God's plan and purpose for him, he goes in the other direction. He wants nothing to do. Why is that? Because he knows who God is. Jonah was really indignant towards God's calling to reach people who were his enemies. See, God offering mercy to our enemies in exchange for repentance is something we find in both Testaments. You know, I know there's a lot of people who think that God's angry and mean and wrathful in the Old Testament. He's nice and good and and full of grace in the New Testament. This is not there. This story is a great example that really knocks that, that theory out of the park. Because here, Nineveh deserves the judgment of God. But God is offering them grace. So think of this concept we find in the New Testament. And this, this is the best, maybe the best way Jesus explained this concept. Here it is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard, and this is important, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now you've heard that. It's what Jesus is saying to these people. It's okay to love your neighbor. It's okay to hate your enemy. But look at this. But I, and remember, who is Jesus? God in the flesh. He is the word become flesh. You've heard that it was said it's okay to love your neighbor but hate you, or love your neighbor but hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus, the word of God came flesh. I've I said to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. All come to repentance. Now, if you don't have a problem with that, then you probably are just a much more mature Christian than I am. It's hard to show compassion to all people. It's hard to show mercy to all people. It's especially hard to show mercy and compassion to people who are considered your enemies. Again, Jesus is God in the flesh, and he lives out this truth for us through the cross. I mean, Jesus gave his life for anyone and everyone who would recognize their sin, repent of their sin, and make him Lord over their lives. Anyone, everyone. See, Jesus doesn't just write this and say, this is how you live. This is what he lived for us. He lived this example out for us on the cross. Did he not say from the cross, "Cross to those who are crucifying him and ridicule him, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, like Jonah, we have a hard time putting this truth into practice. and Sometimes we could kind of fairy, fairy tale this story, and we really lose the essence of the story of Jonah's story. It's easy to love Nineveh from a distance. We could all do that. Hey, we can send missionaries to Nineveh, so to speak. We can pl- send people in proxy for us to go love people. But it's hard for us. it's a whole other ball game when we ourselves go to Nineveh and to love our enemies. See like Jonah, God's called us to reach people who aren't aligned with us, people who aren't aligned with us politically, socially, morally or spiritually. Jonah was called to preach repentance to a people who wished to destroy his nation. It wasn't like God was calling him to reach his neighbor, and his neighbor was someone that you know, they had a property dispute with. You know, Is this my fence or your fence? Is this my tree or your tree? Is that my grass or your grass? No, God wasn't sending Jonah to a neighbor who had a property dispute. He was sending Jonah to people who wanted to kill his nation, destroy his nation. Nineveh Nineveh was an enemy. It's consisted of people who wanted the defeat and destruction of Israel. And most of us aren't called to minister to an enemy that that has that kind of ferocity towards us, and thank God for it. But we are called to reach people who are different from us, who think differently from us, that behave differently from us. And by the way, when we carry the gospel to them, we carry God's word. We don't have to make it PC, but we also don't take the word and weaponize it. There's a balance to keep between the two. So God is calling us to reach people in our schools at work who oppose us, maybe even oppose Christianity. Those are the people we need to be looking for. So where is your Nineveh? Who are the people God has called you to reach, but you haven't responded? Instead, you're like Jonah, and you're kind of going the other direction, away from them. And listen, I'm not defending Jonah's disobedience, but when you really put it into context, you can understand why he fled. And why he went the other direction. Because I think many of us do the same thing. Whether we like to admit it or not. See, none of us in here, if if we've been born born again for very long, can claim ignorance. We understand the Great Commission. We understand the Great Commandment. These are the backbone. This is the backbone of Christianity. We have an understanding that we have a responsibility to reach lost people. And we have a calling to love God and to love people. Very simple. So we'll never be able to claim ignorance... And again, I'm not defending Jonah's disobedience, but it is difficult. Difficult to love people who don't love you, don't like you, and don't want you around. Maybe oppose you. Maybe just difficult people to be around. It needs a lot of grace to be around. So how does Jonah respond to God's calling? Jonah goes to Joppa. Joppa is on the coast, just a a few miles away from gath hepher He gets to, to Joppa, gets on a ship. Where does he go? He goes to Tarshish. And the best we can understand from, from scholars is that Tarshish is simply Spain. So put this into perspective. God calls Jonah to head east and north, about 500 miles to Nineveh. But Jonah instead travels the opposite direction. He goes west and south, and he goes 20, he's going to sail 2,500 miles away. He's not just getting, going, he has to make sure he's going far, far away. So I'm just saying he's going as far from God as he can. He's running away far from his calling as possible. And like Jonah, many of us are heading in the opposite direction of God's plan and purpose for our lives. And collectively as a church, I, can, I cannot say that we, we might be. We, I believe we are heading in the wrong direction, away from our calling and purpose. It doesn't mean we don't love God. It doesn't mean that we're not genuine in our faith. But we are missing something as a church in regards to our calling to our community. See, God has called us to be the church in our community. Being the church and going to church aren't one and the same. See, going to church is biblical. I don't want to downplay. I want to give everyone an excuse that they don't have to come to church because that's not even biblical. I mean, what's biblical is what is written in Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another And so much more as you see that day approaching. The closer we get to the return of Jesus, we should be more committed to going to church. But going to church doesn't mean we are being the church. Plenty of us can go to church and not be the church. See, we're living in Nineveh right now. See, there are people that you'll run across, and I'm sure you know, that you'll run across people who say, Well, I'm a Christian, but I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Now, you can become a Christian outside of a church. I understand that. But you won't live as a Christian long without a church. It's as simple as that. Don't you find it ironic that people want to go to heaven, be with Jesus, and they want to get to heaven and be with other people, but here on earth they don't want nothing to do with them? I, I want to be part of God's family up here, but just not down here. I find that ironic. And this is what I found, and probably some of you have found this too. When people identify as Christian but don't go to church, you don't find them out there winning people to Jesus very often. In fact, they don't want nothing to do with that. I just want to live my life. I want to be a Lone Ranger, right? And I might have Tano, but that's it. But it's just me and God, which is, again, completely out of step with Scripture. The Christian life is personal. It's, it's, you know, it's a personal relationship with God. It is, but once you become part of the family of God, it's, it's bigger than that. So when people say they aren't Christians, but they're a part, and they're, not, they're Christians, but they're not a part of a church, they, they aren't part of, this, of a community, They're not trying to reach lost people. And really, essentially, how they're handling Christianity is like Cain who slew his brother. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Once you are born again, you are born into the family of God. You are your brother's keeper. You belong to a family. Yes, you are a child of God. Yes, that's personal. You are a son and daughter of God, but you now belong to a family. So get with the family. Church attendance alone doesn't define our Christian experience. Nor does it fulfill our calling and purpose as Christians to be the church. But it's great to come to church. Why? Because you're exhorted, you're encouraged. We should assemble for worship. There should be a consistency there. But at the same time, that doesn't fulfill our calling to be the church. Jesus made our calling and purpose very clear in these words. Matthew twenty-eight 19, First word is the most important word. Go. And, this, and remember this. This is not just for pastors. This is not for clergy. This is for the body of Christ, each and every one of us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The imperative of the Great Commission is go. And it goes back to what God said to Jonah. Go to Nineveh. Go. And God's called us to reach our own Nineveh. Again, going to church is right and good, but it doesn't negate the fact that God's called us to go, to go to church and go to this world. Again, God isn't calling Nineveh to come to church. And listen, if if we're waiting for for God to fill our church with people because he's going to bring them in, it ain't going to happen. The right way to do things is that we leave this place and we go to them. And we meet them and reach them right where they're at, right in their sin, right in their own wickedness, and reach them there. It reminds me of what Jesus said in regards to Peter's confession of faith who do men say i am well you are the christ the son of the living god and jesus responds and says this in matthew 16 18 and i also say to you that you are peter and on this rock on this confession of faith i will build my church and the gates of hades or the gates of hell shall not prevail against it again the church isn't called to take up a defensive posture we shouldn't be huddled together every sunday like a mass and we're just hanging on till jesus comes that's not the posture. That's not the, the imperative. The imperative is for us to go. Jesus calls us to take up an offensive posture against the walls or the gates of hell. The Holy Spirit empowers us to go into this world, right up to the gates of hell. We should become knock and say, "Hey, there are some folks inside those walls that we're coming to get." That really, I'm not saying that arrogantly, but that should be our posture. When they, you find people on your job, people in your, at school, people that, maybe even your family, people that you might consider enemy, you should be praying this. I'm knocking. Because you don't know want God's called me to reach them. You don't have to like them. You don't have to like what you do. But if you start praying for them, it's amazing what God will do to your heart. Even if you just start, God, bless them. Start somewhere. It's amazing. Start somewhere. If you'll start praying consistently for a person, people that you don't like, People are in it. It's amazing what God not does to them, but what God does for you and how he changes your heart for that person. And, you know, one day you'll see this person as a complete idiot, an imbecile, lazy, whatever, nasty, wretched, and all of a sudden you'll go to work, go to school, whatever, and you're like, they need Jesus. They desperately need Jesus, and your heart changes for them. See, Nineveh was surrounded by walls, and you've probably heard this story and they could tell by the remnants of the wall. The walls were over 100 feet tall. Just massive. And Jonah is called to go behind those walls. He's called to leave gath Hepper, his hometown. And he's called to go 500 miles. And not just to go up to the walls, but to get in behind the walls. See, people have walls. And some of those walls are constructed with just despicable human behavior. We may see those walls and just be disgusted. We may see walls of doubt, walls of religion. Just just walls. People have walls. We're called to get behind those walls, church. Nineveh was full of sin, so much that it deserved God's wrath. But God's desire was this, that none should perish, that all should come to repentance. So it shouldn't surprise us that Jonah goes the other direction because he wants nothing to do with that. He goes, you know, if, if those people repent, if they change, then they're still our enemies. They're still wanting to kill us. And that's the wrong way of looking at things. See, God wants to send us to Nineveh to those people so they can experience grace. And if they can experience grace, they can experience change. See, church, we're like Jonah, a lot like Jonah. So when you read a story, don't say, what, what a bonehead. God called him to do something. He was just disobedient. We're disobedient every day. We're all disobedient all the time. We don't have a willingness to go. And you say, well, how can you say that? Well, let's just look around. Just let's take a month or two here and just look around. Who are you went to Jesus? Who have you impacted? Who are you discipling? you are called to reach those people. A willingness to go is proven in only in this, by going. A willingness to go is only proven by going. We can talk about going all day long. We need to go to this, we need to go to that, we need to go to these. This, this, these people are despicable. We need to go to them. We'll go to them. Let's go. What are you waiting for? We're like Jonah, all of us, but we're called to reach Nineveh. Remember this, Jonah wasn't a clergy member. He wasn't part of royalty. He didn't have a religious title. He was just an average, everyday guy. And I would say this about Jonah, he wants nothing to do with those people. They can go to hell as far as he cares. To be honest with you, that's how he felt. That's why he goes the other direction. But what does God's grace do? God's grace moves. God sees these people that are going to be destroyed if they don't repent. And that's why he sends a preacher. See, do we believe that people are sinners and that they deserve judgment? Or do we believe that some people are sinners and only some deserve judgment? See, the proof is in our actions. See, Isaiah 53, 6 says this. All, all, we, like sheep, have gone astray. We, being all of us, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, speaking of Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Jesus didn't die on the cross for the redemption of some people. He died on the cross for the redemption of everyone, anyone who would come to him, repent of their sins, put their faith, even our enemies, even those who oppose him. See, God doesn't pick and choose who can and will be saved. And neither should we. If God isn't willing to fill that role, then why on earth do we think it's our role? John 3, 16, the classic Christian verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever believes, And him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God so loved the world that he gave. And thank God for that. He's so moved with compassion that he gives. To who? To all, not some. See, God has called us like Jonah to go to Nineveh and share this wonderful truth with people. And God so loved the world that he gave. Paul writes this, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I really think that sometimes we have a problem with that. What if we go to certain people, people that are our enemies, and they get saved? Well, I think that's a good thing, don't you? Don't you think it should be a motivation for us? Don't you think it'd be a good thing that our enemies become saved, they get changed? Maybe, maybe we don't understand what salvation is all about. Maybe we haven't really experienced salvation, because maybe we're just religious, and we think they're just going to become religious like us. They go to church, they go through the motions, they look like a Christian, but inside their heart they got a lot of hate, they got a lot of anger, they got a unforgiveness and bitterness towards people. Why would I want that person to get saved if that's what they're going to be like? Because they really haven't changed. And this is what Jonah failed to see. Without repentance, without a commitment to God, people have no hope. And they will remain opposed to God, and they will remain opposed to God's people unless there is an impact of God in their life. But if they hear the gospel, receive Jesus, repent, your enemy becomes family. Again, I'm reminding you of this verse, Romans ten fourteen. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? My wife grew up uh, with a stepfather that was an alcoholic. Uh, he was abusive uh, to his wife, his children, an adulterer. So he's just a despicable human being, to be honest with you. He terrorized his family as abusive. Man was a genius, though, a genius IQ. The, the head of his department, political science. But he was a wicked and immoral person. I remember when my wife had the opportunity to lead her stepfather to Christ. After he was diagnosed with terminal cancer, there was no hope for him. The man who terrorized her and called her, he would literally call Jenny when she was four or five years old, you're pathetic. You're the most worthless person I've ever seen. And the day that you die will be the best day. Now she remembers all that, can cite that. But you know, she can say all that without any bitterness. And here's why. Because that man who had all, said all those nasty things, held his ham, family hostage, terrorized them, she was able to, that man put his hand in her hand, and she led him to Jesus. Now when that happens, he was nothing better than an enemy. That might have been her stepfather, but he was an enemy. And I'm telling you this, when you can lead an enemy to Christ, there's so much healing that you'll have, so much that God will protect you from. If you'll just allow that to happen in your life now i'm not saying we go willy-nilly and we do this With every situation you have to have some wisdom, but i'm just saying there are times and places Where you have that possibility of taking place And it's amazing what can take place When you just take god at his word you become that jonah and jonah and they're the nineveh See if we have difficulty coming to grips with people who are enemies enjoying the same love and forgiveness that we enjoy That really makes us no better than the pharisees and we're hypocrites Because here's what we want. We're willing to receive grace, but we're not willing to extend grace. And those actions alone make us hypocrites. See, American Christianity has adopted a a mindset when it comes to reaching people who don't agree with us. And this is why today we better be careful that we're not weaponizing Christianity with politics. Because if we do this, we are going to miss the people we're called to reach. Listen, that doesn't mean we have to become PC. We don't have to water down the gospel We don't have to even change your political views. You're welcome to have that. You live in America. You have the right to disagree. But what we don't have is this, the right to weaponize Christianity and make it political. Because if you read your Bible, you'll find this exactly what happened when Jesus was walking on the earth and he finds nothing but a politicized version of Judaism. History repeats itself, church. If we're not careful, we are culpable. We are responsible in this process. We better watch out. Just because people don't think and act and look like you, just because they identify this, that, or whatever today, doesn't mean you can't reach them. You don't have to agree with them. You can believe their behavior is despicable. I advise you to take up that stance. But that doesn't mean I can't reach them. See, how can we reach those people unless we go with some compassion? How can we go to people in Nineveh unless we're willing to say, you know, I'm Jonah. Yeah, right now we're going in the wrong direction. But how are we going to reach those people unless we fulfill God's calling on our lives? Acts 1-8 says this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and also Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we're called and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what? To be a witness. Now in Pentecostal circles, we think we experience the Holy Spirit For this reason that we get to experience the presence of god and man It was god visit us. We just had church today and and then preacher didn't preach And we think it's all about us But clearly when you read the words of jesus acts chapter one, this is his word before he ascends into heaven He's sending the holy spirit for what reason that he'll come upon you. You shall be witnesses To go out into nineveh and to be a witness to go out into this world to be a witness And there's nothing wrong with us experiencing the presence of God. We should welcome the presence of God. We should want to experience the presence of God. However, that experience is not to be kept in here. That experience should be an empowerment and encouragement for us to go out into this world and reach it.